0: Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Forward Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Merrill, and today we have Mick Byers. Did I get that right? Yep. Sweet. Okay. Um, he is the writer, art creator of uh, Royal Cheeks. It's on Kickstarter now, and it goes to August 31st. Um, how you doing, Mick? Pretty good. Good. What have you been up to?
1: Uh, work, working on the next book.
0: <laughs> yeah? Not the,
1: the next book for Royo Cheeks, but uh, another project. Yeah. Um, That's usually how it on. goes is...
0: Are you like yeah. are you are you like me in that like you're you have multiple things going in different stages of development at all times? Like oh yeah one yeah thing yeah. yeah. And, yeah. For sure. Like
1: my favorite thing to do is to start projects and get um, two or three pages in. More than that, like sometimes like anywhere between two and nine pages of a project, and I'll I'll draw a letter and everything, and then decide
0: if I'm going to do anything with it or if I'm going to move on.
1: Yeah, I don't don't get that
0: far, but um, no, like, I like that because, like, my ADD brain, I like being able to jump from one thing to another and always have something going, you know? Yeah, yeah. Plus, like, you know, sometimes, like, I imagine it helps, like, when you're in the zone, you know? Like, you're in the zone on one thing, you just power through that, but then it's not working. right, like, you hit
1: those streaks where it's like, I can bust out a bunch of pages on
0: this, and then I'll switch over and work on pages for that exactly so it's so good to know that I'm not I'm not crazy so um, why don't you go ahead and let's start you go ahead and describe uh, what Royo cheeks is go ahead and let the people know
1: um, Royo cheeks I've described it as a uh, Ted lasso spaghetti Western um, you have a uh, Boston not really like a mail-order bride she's being sent out to California um, at her father's behest Um with her marriage serving as, you know, a, a transaction as part of a business merger, and partway out to California, she decides to jump off the train and, you know, live her own life, uh, start her own adventure, and that's uh, where the, the, the story picks up um, after she's she's off the train. Um, so then she finds herself in the small town of Arroyo, and uh, I guess zaniness
0: ensues, as it often does in these situations. I think that's that's perfectly valid. So the first thing I did want to ask was, um, you just used it now, and it's on the Kickstarter as well. How, as, as, I mean, I'm familiar with it, but how, explain the Ted Lasso-ness of this. Because uh i'm not seeing that but maybe you can like <laughs> um i enjoy that kind of like uh not necessarily like
1: where he comes from but then like he arrives in this situation and people all expect a certain kind of behavior from a certain kind of people and like he kills them all with kindness you know like People expect him to be, you know, either a bumbling country bumpkin or, you know, just like any other hard-nosed coach or, uh, someone as, you know, vapid and empty-headed as, uh, I don't know, anyway, but it's like he arrives there and his solution is to be nice to everyone, whether or not they want or deserve it, and, uh, that kind of insistence on being a decent human being is what wins people over and changes people's minds and creates, you know, the drama and conflict of the series, not him rolling in, being just, you know, the world's biggest asshole, insisting that they do things his way. Is just like, no, oh, I'll let you, you know, you be you, I'll be me, and we'll see who, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, creates the most change in
0: the situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I had, like I said, I haven't watched, um, I'm looking for my pen. I can't find it. Um, I I haven't watched Ted Lasso, but from what I know of it, that's kind of, it's kind of just like you said, the person who comes in with optimism and proceeds to win everyone over. And I, I figured that's kind of where you were going just from the preview pages I'd seen. Um, so what other kinds of things are, um, or first of all, I, um, this seems like from what I hear, I haven't read a ton of your work or what i read. Or I haven't read a ton of your work, but from what I see, um, you've mentioned a lot about your, um, a lot of your work inspired by Edgar Rice Burroughs and like uh, the Princess of Mars, things like that. Yeah. Um, or A-Princess, whatever it's called. Um, another thing I haven't read that I need to. Um, <laughs> so why do something like this or how is this inspired by that or however you want to take this question slash thought um, I just noticed that it's. I, I just made a note that it's. It seems to be a departure from that. Is it really a departure, or why'd you make that departure? Um,
1: so, Royo, I actually drew back in 2020, April of 2020. It was one of those projects where, like, I just hit a groove, and so I carried through to the end. Like, I finished. Originally, I was thinking I was going to do a graphic novel. I got to page, like, 27 or 28 before I lost interest in it and moved on to my Edgar Rice Burroughs project at that time. Um, and so then it kind of sat as just these 28 pages for a year, year and a half, um, before someone I knew at a comics publisher asked me what I was going to do with it. And like they weren't interested in it as only a graphic novel. They would be interested in it as a miniseries and then a graphic novel. So I went back to my 28 pages. It's was like, well, you know, like I've got a pretty good cliffhanger here on page 27 so i'll just rearrange a couple things move that up i can make it a 22 page issue with little to no revision so i did that and then i sat on it for about another nine months before i decided to put it up on kickstarter Um, Hmm. but at the time i just finished working on what had i been working So, Hollow, I did, it was a a mini-series I put out through SourcePoint Press, and it was a Lovecraftian take on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I finished that in October 19, and I kind of like waffled on projects until March, April, when I did Royo. I did Royo, uh, and then I started to waffle on projects again, so then that first Mars book, happened immediately after that there's like i'd hit on this kind of style in Royo that i enjoyed and i wanted to try it with a different story uh, because i didn't think it worked with Royo. and then uh i ended up doing a whole 28 page book then for mars um in a couple weeks with that new style and started running with that put that on kickstarter first followed that up first uh made that kind of my main project. So then Royal predates that. I wouldn't say that they're necessarily related at all outside of like an accident of uh, art that links them. Um, mm-hmm. But that's really like a lot of the projects I have, a lot of the stuff I have going on in some form or another aren't ever closely related. I mean, it's usually like pretty big jumps from this to that. this other thing because that's how you know like i take a break from like the seriousness or art style of mars by jumping into something that looks and feels completely different and then that's you know the next thing i bounce to would be that same thing and like eventually it'll circle back around but Hmm. i usually try to make my projects as different and feel and look as i can just to
0: get space from uh whatever it is so, but, um, so is there like a, do you think there's a particular reason that, um, the Mars things and kind of that type of science fiction, um, cause you mentioned that you've been reading those for, you know, a long time or just in general, that kind of, um, pulpy kind of thing. Is there a reason that any of that maybe speaks to you or any something? Um, yeah, I mean, like, right, there's definitely that element of like, that's what I grew up with. So that's
1: mm-hmm. what has always, you know, appealed to me. Um. And there is a lot in Mars, like, it's just fun to draw naked people. I enjoy drawing naked people, and there's more of a reason for that in Mars. is like in those books yeah. he makes mention of the fact that no one on Mars wears clothes. So it's like, all right, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun to draw. It's, uh, I wouldn't say, like, the way I do it. Like, the books themselves are kind of like whiz-bang action adventures. Something's always happening. You're always moving to the next step. But there's, like, my books aren't necessarily that style. Uh, but it is a little more action oriented than I usually do. Like I, I excel at drawing talking heads. I love to draw talking heads, and like a lot of time for me, the action happens off panel, off page, and so Mars was uh, kind of an exercise in forcing myself to put more of that onto the page uh, instead of talking or working around it. Um, and then too, like because everyone's naked, it did very well on Kickstarter, and then. For the second yeah. book, I got covers by some friends that did very well on Kickstarter. Uh, so, like, the audience is definitely there for that kind of content, especially on Kickstarter, yeah. um, where you're not
0: shopping for someone else. You're shopping, you know, yeah. for what your interests are. I mean, that's a, that's a, that you just made me think of a, it was a tweet that I saw like today or yesterday. Someone just said, has anybody ever, ever or this, it was something about, why do the, I forget what word they use is funnier than this, but just like all the NSFW books always do really freaking well on Kickstarter. Every time they're always, yeah. you know, yeah. 500% funded. Yeah. So that probably speaks to that, what you're doing right there. Um, not that that you're necessarily, I mean, I guess it's a way to, you know, get another piece of the market, you know, <laughs> even if that's not your main intention, but yeah. I mean, works. cause it's like,
1: I do, I do enjoy drawing naked people. Um, But one of the things I wanted to do with Mars is draw naked people in, like, a very boring way. Like, there is nudity throughout the Mars books, but I don't feel like any of it crosses over into salacious. uh, Because I try to treat it like this is just how these people are. Like, no one's walking around with, like, a raging heart on the whole time because everyone else is naked. Like, they're all just hanging out, and it's treated as, as normal. So, like... Yeah, they are naked, but it's a very boring form of nudity. Whereas, like, yeah, a lot of the NSFW books on Kickstarter, you know, have gone, have taken that all the way to the extreme. And, like, yeah, they do great because, you know, you're
0: shopping anonymously from the comfort of your own home. Get whatever you want. Your credit card company doesn't care. Technically, I mean, well, you're not anonymous because, like, the people who made it, I guess they don't really care either, though, because they're the ones who made it. You know, they're not going to be like. There there is, like, There is some part of me that, like, wants to dip into, like, some harder
1: NSFW content. But it's, like, I certainly don't want my parents to know I've drawn that. Like, there are relationships I have with people from these other books that it's, like, yeah, but I'm genuinely interested in this story. Please give it a chance as opposed Mm -hmm. to, like, I just don't I I want to keep those audiences completely separate from one another
0: is kind of what I struggle with i'm kind of the kind of the same thing i've had similar thoughts and just that not necessarily with drawing like erotic comics or anything but just i just want to be good i wish i was better at like pinups like you know just like old-fashioned type pinups right yeah people and i just but i I just feel like there is this not that those you know erotic nsfw type things can't be good stories but there is kind of a stigma against it and i just don't want to feed into i don't i don't want to be a part of that, but I also, am like, well, it doesn't have to be part of the stigma, but I also don't want to be the one who makes that jump, you know what I mean? Yeah, right, and, like, that's kind of why I try to be as boring as I can with the nudity in Mars, is because of that, like, I
1: buy it because they're naked, but, like, they're not, you know, like, doing anything about their nakedness, so, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that, for me, you know, it's, like, that's that very
0: fine hair I've managed to split in my own mind about the project. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting tangent we just went on. I don't remember how <laughs> we got there. But do you think that maybe the um, kind of the pulpiness, uh, this is probably the the, uh, yeah, the pulpiness, do you think it ties? Because Spaghetti Westerns are equally pulpy, you know? Yeah. And so do you think there's some kind of connection there? Or am I just playing armchair psychologist?
1: Um, I think there is a little bit
0: there where... Uh...
1: You do have just kind of that, you know, like, again, slam-bang, action-adventure, just like it keeps moving. There's always a twist. There's always a turn um, kind of moment. And, like, there isn't a lot of that in this first issue of Roya. So, like, the first issue of Roya, I feel, is very much, you know, it skews much more towards the Ted Lasso uh, mm-hmm. side of the equation than the, than the Spaghetti Western side of the equation. Um But, like, as the story progresses on, we get more into, like, the pulpiness of the Spaghetti Western half of things. Where, you know, like, there are these bandits outside of town. They come in. They create mayhem and havoc. Um, How do these characters react to that? How does, like, specifically this very, like, you know, I don't believe anyone's 100% of a dick kind of character, Royo. Like, how does she react to it? And how does she... Mitigate the responses of others where it's like this violence has come into town Our first reaction is to respond with an equal amount of violence if not more and then Royo is there is kind of like yeah, but we don't have to like, you know, what are our our other options
0: in this scenario? Um, Sorry, I don't know why I just randomly thought came to me, but I realized I have to reach out to some of the backers of my Kickstarter (laughs) Let me write, I wrote that down so I won't forget. Um, and so while we're on the subject of, um, I'm just going off of the email that you sent me of just because I just always ask for like some, you know, just some facts or some details or anything interesting. It. Um, and so, do you? I mean, what about the comics that you were reading? Like, because I know you said a lot of Superman, and then you said Silver Surfer was kind of a big thing too. So, what? A, what of those do you think is a? Um, is kind of can you see in? Royo. Um, I don't think a
1: lot actually. I think um mostly what I've learned from my reading habits as a kid is that those aren't the books I want to make. You know, like growing up it was like, oh, I'm always going to do superhero books. Like I'm going to do comics, they're going to be superhero books. Eventually I'm going to, you know, they're going to give me the keys to Superman and just say, like, yeah. do whatever. Live your dreams. And like, uh probably around 2013, um I kind of got over that. I was like, but I'm not really interested in like superheroes. I realized that the Superman story I wanted to write was the Superman story I had read growing up. I didn't want to tell a new Superman story. I wanted to tell the <laughs> Superman story that I had experienced. And when I started to think about well, what story would I want to tell with Superman, if I could write Superman, it's like I don't, I don't necessarily have one. Like it's not that I don't still really enjoy the character, but I have more to say with my own characters than I do with those characters, which is kind of weird. Because with Mars, like again, I'm using pre-established, uh, a world pre-established characters um i mean i'm using one pre-established character from those books the most of the characters are ones i've created for this story but it's like i was more interested in the setting on Mars. and uh one of the stories that's always kind of fascinated me is like you've had your big you know season series finale like all of your questions have been resolved but it's like but then what happens when everyone wakes up tomorrow what do they do now and like that is how I approached my Mars series is that, you know, we've we've come to the day after John Carter has changed this entire planet. What do people do now? And uh, you don't necessarily have that with superheroes, especially at the big two, because like it's it's a soap opera. So it's like what happens is you just start all over again, and like mm-hmm. and you build up to another world and event, and then you start over and build up to another world and event. And it's like there isn't ever that question of. But what would they do if that was it? You know, like, if the never-ending battle came to an end, what then do they do? Who are they at that point? And I could do that uh, more effectively and more interestingly with with my own characters.
0: Yeah. I, kinda, I think that's kind of along the same lines of what, you know, kind of everybody comes up to. Because the conclusion everybody comes to is, you know, if I want to, even if you do decide, hey, I still want to tell a Superman story, I have something really cool I want to tell, you can just as easily make your own character that fills those same. Um... Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. And like Kickstarter is especially nice for that because when I first looked at uh, doing my own comics in like 2000, 2001, it was like a minimum 5 k investment because I had to put a book together. I had to. Pitch the book to previews. I had to print off a certain number of copies that previews wanted. Like the upfront cost was absolutely insane. Um, and with Kickstarter, it's a golden age for independent books and independent creators because your upfront costs can be you know as close to zero as you want them to be. I mean, like I, I can do everything but color. You know, like I'm not the world's best letterer. I'm not the world's best writer. I'm not the world's best. Uh, artist but like I can do enough of those things to a certain point that serve my stories to make it feasible you know and it's (laughs) like the Mars books aren't in color because I don't color Um, so still like I can come to kickstarter and I can ask for a very small amount of money to produce a quality book that people are interested in Um, whereas you know 20 years ago when I was looking at doing the same thing it was you know just an insane amount of upfront to me to take this huge chance that, you know,
0: probably would not pay out in the long run. Um, So one more question, we're kind of working our way backwards, but it's a question that I like to ask, you know, not necessarily everybody, but I like to ask a lot of people because I don't know, I just think it's really interesting. Um, So at what point, like in your, cause we talked a lot about things that you, you know, read as, as a kid, um, at what point did you kind of realize that, um, cr- not like that you wanted to be a writer, but like at what point did you, or, I guess what, more than what, when you wanted to be a writer, at what point did you realize that it was a possibility, like there were people who made those comics, there, there was someone who wrote those books, like I want to be that person, I want to make my own, you know what I mean? Like at what point did you realize that was something you could do?
1: Yeah, so like probably sixth grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade is when I sold, like, my first comic, you know, like, I'd drawn on a couple of pieces of copy paper, I'd folded it up, and I sold it to a kid at school, and was Mm -hmm. like, this is pretty cool, like, I've been reading comics for a few years, like, I would also like to make comics, but then I wasted the next two decades um, in that kind of, like, mother's basement mindset where it's like, yeah, but I'm already good, so... You know, I need them to recognize how good I already am and give me the jobs I want. I don't need to submit. I don't need to practice. Like, they need to recognize how good I am. And so, until I was 35, I didn't really work on it. I I had a couple web comics I did during the time, but I wasn't actively trying to improve at any aspect of making comics. I was just, you know, trying to, you know, write on my own coattails, which had gone nowhere. And then... In 2013, we took our daughter to, to Disneyland, and it's the first time I had ever been to Disneyland, and it sounds incredibly cliche, but it was truly a magical experience for me, and I came home from Disneyland at the age of 35, and I was like, I need to like get my ass in gear and start making comics, and attempting to make good comics, um, and start to get better at making and that's when I became serious about it. So that was 13. I did my first Kickstarter in 18 uh, with a fantasy comic, and then uh, followed that
0: up in 20, 2021. I think is when
1: I did the,
0: the the Mars book, which was my second Kickstarter. And now we look at you—you're already an experience. You're an experienced Kickstarter. You're, you know, got <laughs> yeah, right. right like Roy- Royo's number four. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, so we'll take a really quick break. Um, yeah. No all right. Um, okay. And we're back. Um, so I know we kind of talked a lot about, um, you know, you and sort of that side of things. Um, so I wanted to ask a few questions about um, Royo Cheeks. And um, so my first question that I'm now seeing is um, not really applicable is I wanted to know how you made the book because I really like the colors. It turns out that's the one thing you didn't do um so <laughs> so actually i did do the colors on Royo. it is the oh, okay
1: there it is the first thing so like I've, I've dabbled in color it's the first book i've ever colored um which was like it was we kind of talked about it earlier but it's like you know i'll start different projects to try out different things Royo started as an exercise in like a more cartoony style and I got, like, two pages of pencils in it. I was like, you know what? Like, I have an idea of how I would color it, so, so I'll give that a shot. Um, and how I've colored it is that I've used the same brush for everything. Like, I have a, a, a pencil brush that I use for all the lines, I use for all the colors, I use for all the shading. So, like, I like that it has this kind of, you know, uh,
0: modeled, uh, layered look to it because it's the same brush for, for literally everything. Well, so I guess that's what I was, um, the one the thing I noticed is it has like a, almost a watercolory kind of look to it. Yeah. And I, so, so that was, I, obviously I guess this was your first time time doing yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I just think, I just wanted to know, I think it worked out really, really well for you. Um, so when making the book, were there any specific scenes that, um, that stood out to you? Like, um, or was there a specific scene that you maybe found uh, incredible, like more difficult to draw, or one that you like? This is the one that you look forward to the most because it's maybe it's a spread or something like that.
1: Um,
0: I'd say like the opening sequence. Uh, so both with
1: Royo and with the first Mars book, um, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted the opening sequence to be. I knew exactly what I wanted out of that first. Uh, pages and so that's what I looked forward to the most and that's what I did with Royo it originally started as a book that was going to be <laughs> much further over on the scale of NSFW books mm-hmm. and uh Royo and Whipcord were going to be like entertaining themselves in the stagecoach, and like that is the scene I initially drew um and then as I kept working on the book like it didn't even fit with that first version of Royal, but it fit even less as I went on and I developed the story. And so going back to, like, it had been the easiest scene to draw at the beginning because I had the best idea about it. But then when I had to go back and revise it, it became probably the most difficult scene because it's like I, I want to set up all the conflict of the book in, like, these first few pages You know, did I leave myself enough room to do that? Uh, What can I do to put as many ideas across as I can, you know, without adding pages to this sequence? Um, Because I liked the flow of the book and, you know, how concise it felt up to that point. And so it became a challenge of rewriting it inside a specific set of space.
0: Okay. Um, well, have you ever, I know I do this. Um, have you ever, um, being the artist and the writer, have you ever like written yourself into a corner or like, do you have any scenes where, you're, or first let's, let's, let's nix that question. How do you, what exactly is your process like for being both? Cause you know, some people still do things very traditionally. Like I do, I, you know, I script the whole thing and then I go through and draw it all. But, or do you like, um, or are you just kind of a you kind of draw as you write person? Because I've seen people go both ways.
1: Yeah, so I've done I've done both things myself with Hollow that I did through Source Point. Um, I wrote a full script out for all four issues. I followed the script mostly for issue one, um, and then like past page two of issue two, like I'd never referred to my scripts again. Um, it's what ended up on pages nothing what I had originally in the script with the first Mars book um, I literally wrote and drew a page at a time because uh, I wasn't anticipating it being a book it was just an exercise at first mm-hmm. I was just trying to figure out how I wanted to use this new pencil tool to to make an image and uh, so it was just one page I'd write it I'd like I would open up a blank page I would draw what I wanted to draw and then I would try to letter it so that it made sense and then I'd go on to the next page. And so that first Mars book is that process. The second Mars book and Royo Cheeks are shared kind of the same process. I uh, I knew like one specific moment I wanted to have in the book. And so I need, how many pages do I need to justify that moment or to pay off that moment? So like with Royo Cheeks, I knew how I wanted it to start. How do I pay that off through the book? With Mars 2, I knew how I wanted it to end, so how do I build up to that point? So my process is that, like, figure out what the key moment is. Um, Then I'll just make a numbered list, one to, in Royo's case, one to 22. I'll write down, you know, on page one, this happens. Page two, this happens. Page three, this happens. So I'll go through, do that. From that point, I'll go through and I'll thumbnail pages out based on that list, Um, like, this is what I want to happen. Can that happen here? Do I have space for that to happen here? What would happen before and after? Once I have those thumbnails done, I'll go through and just on like ruled notebook paper, I'll dialogue out the whole book with no other stage directions. Just like these characters talked and these characters talked and these characters talk, right? Like all the dialogue for the whole book. So then... I'll take that back to my thumbnails and then, like, letter and redraw as I add the letters to the book and uh, finish the book that way, see where I'm at, and then add pages, delete pages, redraw pages, we needed after that. Like, with Mars, I didn't have any with Royo, but with Mars 2, I ended up with uh, six pages I wasn't going to use that I had drawn that no longer had a, a place in the book. So, like, I scrapped them and had to, to
0: redraw pages. Sorry about the... Like, I said, I meant I told you before, just for anybody who's just listening, Dog and girlfriend just came in. So it's, <laughs> uh, he's trying not to... He's snubbed my cat. It's a whole thing. How she's staring. It's a whole <laughs> deal. Um, so, um, I guess at first, when you were first talking, I kind of got worried that you just kind of were completely winging it. And I was like, I don't know how you do that. Um, but... I and and then when you were talking about writing it out, writing out your dialogue on notebook paper, I recently I've been trying to do some lettering on the side, and I recently did some or had someone f- f- um, uh, confront me, uh, approached me about doing some lettering work for them, and then I saw the script, and that's basically what the script was. And as someone coming into the project, I just couldn't, I just couldn't work yeah. on you work with that that format. It just didn't work for me. Like if that works for their artist and whoever they choose, to letter amazing, perfect, good for them. It just wasn't, I, it wasn't, you know, going to fit for me. And so, yeah. But yes, when so like you're I doing do, it all, I make everything in, in Clip Studio. So,
1: um, write, draw, letter, like everything in Clip Studio. You know, it doesn't have all the functionality of lettering in Illustrator, but like, I'm not so interested in the lettering process that I'm trying to like min max the effect lettering has on the book. Uh, I kind of approach it with like, if you can read it, it's good enough, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I I try to be consistent with, you know, balloon placement and size and where it's pointed, and like, try not to cross balloon tails. Like, I try to stick to, you know, like, the major rules. Um, But I'm not trying to get so fancy that I need Illustrator to pull things off. So, um, Clip Studio has a text function where you can copy and paste all your text for the book into a story editor and it will, you know, and just with, like, very simple formatting, you can apply uh, dialogue to, you know, specific pages. So uh, once I have my notebook sheet of of dialogue, um, and I'll go back and I'll re-thumbnail the book from that physical copy, then I'll type all that into Microsoft Word so I can get a spell check on it. Then just copy and paste, drop that into clip. Uh, you just double <laughs> double enter to establish page breaks in like that wall of text. Mm-hmm. And then I've got all my words on all my pages. When I go back through and do final art, that's when I start breaking it down. It's like that's what these balloons are going to look like. This is what you know. And then I'll establish the flow of that page off of how many words ended up being on it. Uh, more than, you know, like, you know, if I broke a conversation at a specific point on my notebook paper, but then as I'm thumbnailing it out that second time, that doesn't work, then like I can shift stuff forward and back easy enough from there.
0: Yeah, that, and that's also the advantage of like, because I've done that before, too, when you're writing and drawing and lettering, you can change it. You want you can just change the dialogue however you want, but you can also like, oh, I only I drew them without I didn't draw enough space. So you can just, like, trim the diagram. So, like, the
1: book I'm working
0: on currently, and,
1: like, I've worked on... I've worked on a few short stories and, like, now two other books where I was not the editor and... or the writer. And by far my, like, greatest weakness is I don't leave enough space for the word balloons. It's, like, Mm -hmm. what I assume is enough space is never enough space. And uh, the further I get into this book I'm on currently... You know, it's it's a longer book. It's very wordy. Um, I'm getting reviews back every, you know, couple pages. So it's like, okay, the page I just started on, page 13 today, my initial thumbnail, like, I know at this point is absolutely not going to work because I never leave enough space. So I just went through in each of my panels. It was like I need to shove this element over, shove that element over, and just be absolutely brutal about uh, evaluating my own process and, uh the space. of the, Like at this point, I'd rather leave too much space than not enough space. You know, like yeah. the colors can fill it in with something magical. Yeah. And a writer can write more, but like, exactly. You know, yeah. I drawing less also helps me go faster.
0: And so I guess that does lead into the question I was going to ask previously, and maybe you kind of already answered it, but I'll go ahead and ask anyway. Have you ever, have you ever written yourself into a corner, like written yourself something that like you were drawing it and you're like, dude, I can't, I, I don't know why, like, or not, maybe not a corner that you couldn't get out of, but just like, written yourself into like written yourself a really difficult scene. Yeah, yeah. So
1: especially with like the second Mars book, um, I was trying to include an action scene. Um like an intermediary action scene. Uh at at about a third of the way into the book. Probably yeah, at about the third mark of the book. And, you know, I drew it, it it was four pages. I did that whole Mars two, I did the whole book as, as two page spread. So it was like Four pages, but it was two spreads of this action scene that I included because I felt like I needed more action, and I kept going. And then, so that was pages, what, like 13, 14, 15 to 16 maybe? And then when I got to page 26, 27, um, it was like, I haven't set this up. Like, what's going on here, like I had to use too much dialogue to establish stuff that I should have shown on page, but I hadn't um, to try and make this scene work. And so when I went back through, it's like I didn't need these four pages for this action scene because this action scene doesn't play into anything else in the book. Like it's just an action scene to be an action scene. So cutting those out, I could get through that scene in just two pages. That gave me two more pages to draw this other scene include and like take some of the weight off of page 27 and 26 and 27 uh, has definitely been you know probably the the toughest situation I was in because I'd already sunk you know a whole week into these four pages these two spreads that you know I didn't eat went nowhere and now had to draw over again uh, and it's that kind of stuff like even if I'd had a full script going in, I didn't necessarily have an editor. Like, my wife reads through it and tells me what's bad, and, like, I'll fix that. But uh, I've not worked with a, you know, I guess, true editor, a comic book editor who could say, you know, this is why it works, this is why it doesn't work. It's just kind of, like, more of a, a vague feeling, and, like, those are the the traps I get caught in where I know this doesn't work, but I don't know why it doesn't work until I get further down the road and like, Oh, because I needed that space for, for
0: something else. I didn't need
1: that space for what I assigned
0: it. And that's the, I think that's really interesting. Cause just cause like it, that wasn't the intention. Of, like I didn't think about that when I asked the question, you know, I wasn't thinking about you, like through the process of a book, I was more thinking from one step to another, but that's, that's a really good point that I hadn't hadn't really thought about. Um, so another Couple questions that uh, I've been that have really been on my mind lately. Um, or first of all, just a more generic one: How do you um identify with the character of Royo in this book? Uh,
1: I think I identify with Royo in the sense that like I should be her more instead of like. Like, my response definitely is that, like, someone does something to me, my initial response is to respond in kind. Like, I will do what they did, but more of it is is kind of my gut reaction. And specifically for Royo, I want her to approach questions from that other direction, but, like, how can we still respond to the situation appropriately and, you know, that doesn't always mean we do what they do. It means, like, there is, you know, another way to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that kind of... Uh, trying to figure that question out It's is what I find fascinating about Royo. And, I mean, again, like, I drew this book in, in 2020 and wrote it, and, like, it has sat there since then. And I didn't watch Ted Lasso until october november last year like that's the first time i watched ted lasso and like when i watched ted lasso it kind of reinvigorated my interest in Royo because i was like oh like that's what i'm trying to say that's what i was trying to do but i hadn't managed to think it all the way through or figure it all out or see how it could play out in a story and then like i've only seen the first season of ted lasso at this point so no spoilers uh but uh seeing how they handled it with like his response to adversity and uh stuff like that's it finally gives me a focus for Royo and a message for Royo because up until that point Royo didn't have a message she was just you know blithely sailing through this plot with no real impact on the world around here no real impact on Royo herself um everyone was just kind of like marching on the stage, saying their lines and then marching off again. And mm-hmm. after having watched Ted Lasso, it was like, oh, this is who she is. This is who I was trying to make her
0: with that direction. Where can I take this story? What can I, what can I do with it? And so, so the question that I've on the topic of relating to characters and um, knowing your characters and things like that, um, like, um how well do you think you know your characters obviously you've invented them but like do you I just I've seen some writers that are it was actually given to me by an artist for a project I was working on at one point he sent me this big spreadsheet that had like all these details about my character like what do they how do they act when they're nervous what's his favorite music like their favorite foods like how well do you feel like when you write this or any of the things that you've written um how well do you think you know them in terms of like, do you think you can kind of have a vibe of like, oh, this is what kind of music she would listen to. This is the kind of thing she would like. Um, she would like this. She wouldn't like that. Do you think, I'm not trying to like quiz you or anything on it, but like, is that something like, maybe you're not thinking about those specific things, but do you think that you could relate, you do relate to your characters or the things that you create on that level? Uh No, I don't think so. I'm trying to think like.
1: Probably the character I relate to most was a character from my first Kickstarter Rovers. This character called Gabberlin, and he is—he's a magician that just kind of like coasts on all the work he hasn't done yet. So uh, he just bums around town. He does, you know, quick pickups. Like if the, if the ale at the inn has gone bad, you know, for a meal and a bed that night, like Gaverlin will like you know roll the clock back so the ale was good that's the kind of stuff he did just very low level like uh kind of dismissive of what he could actually do kind of stuff and that's probably the character i identified with most in terms of like i can do this thing and it could be amazing but if i only do it 10 percent of the way that's good enough and who else cares Hmm. uh for like any other character i've worked with i mean i don't i don't delve that that deeply into them. Um, I'd say probably like my most developed characters are in my Mars book. Um, I've, since I've done two stories with them, um, mm-hmm. one of the characters in that book is a character from the original stories. And so I'm kind of exploring what I would see as her next steps in this world. Um, and so to that extent, I have the work that Edgar Rice Burroughs did beforehand developing the character to, to play off of and to use in, in writing her further. The other main character is one I've created, but he comes from the society that's very well explored the book, so I have that to kind of build off of. Um, but mostly, like, I guess I don't really think about them outside. Would they say the things I want and need them to say for the sake of the story? Um, which isn't, like, I don't want them to feel like if they're not on page, they've disappeared completely and that they have no weight. Uh, But, no, I've never really, like, developed a character down to, like, the, you know, they set their alarm clock for 6.45 so they can hit Mm -hmm. snooze once. Uh, Yeah, They listen to this music. Their favorite takeout dish is, you know, orange chicken. Like, I don't... I've given characters quirks like that, But I gave them that as a quirk, as just something that they did, not because, like, oh, but this, like, feeds into their childhood trauma, which is why they, you know, set their alarm clock for 647 kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know
0: that I've ever gone that deep into a character, um. I mean, I think that's completely valid. I was—I I don't think that you have to. It was just something that I've been thinking about, just when as I've been writing other things. And like I said, it's just something a, an artist sent me one time, and it's this big Google sheet with like like probably a hundred rows. And I don't even know if it went to music, but it was just like you know, how do they react when they're angry? How do they? There's just a lot of questions about them, and I didn't have to fill it all out, but it just kind of gave yeah. them a better idea. But um, yeah, anyway. Well, I'm like I don't
1: even do a lot of design
0: work. Um, so like the book I'm working on
1: now. Uh the the writer I'm working with is a friend of mine, like we share space here locally, it's super nice. Um, getting ready for the book, he was working on the script and he was like, Why don't you do some, some design work? Why don't you do some design work? Why don't you do some design work? I was like, but like our main character is just like a 20-somethings blonde chick. Like, I'll just draw her when I get to the page, and like that will be my design work. Like, I've never done design work for a character. Uh, beforehand. uh, Like with Mars 2, I drew this new character. I drew her on like six pages. And then when I got to the seventh page and I had to keep referring back to the first six pages to see what she was wearing and what she had on, it was like, okay, well now I'll we'll make a design sheet. Because I've established what she's wearing in this first six pages. So instead of having to go back to those, I can just pull this yeah. up. But I've never, you know, tried to figure out what a character looks like before I just like once I start drawing like I'll figure it out on the page and if I need to go back and redraw you know I'll go back and and redraw but I've never uh, you know I probably could save time it's one of those things I do more work avoiding work than the work in the first place but Mm -hmm. that's a
0: it's a sacrifice I'm willing to make at this point yeah um so, I mean, that's all the actual questions I had. I did have one more that just came up. It's not really on topic, but um, how does that work, you writing? You said that you've used in your Mars books. I know this interview is not about the Mars books, but I'm just curious now. Um, in the Mars books, you use the character from the original, like, things. How does that work as far as, like, the rights and everything? Is that, like, public domain? So or the you- uh, The first
1: seven books, I think, of the Mars series of Barsoom are in the public domain. Okay. And uh, a lot of the names and places they, uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs Corporation has has trademarked. Um, the character I'm using was not trademarked at the time I started using her, and she is still in the public domain. Regardless of that, um, there is there is risk there that I'm not fully aware of. I mean, like, as far as I know, she's in the public domain. I can do whatever. And, like, they could come in tomorrow, you know, and, and take my house away. I, I have no idea. Um, but that's the only uh, character uh, I've pulled from the original book. I guess not. At the end of Mars 2, I pull in a couple of additional characters. Um, and the third Mars book will actually have a character. Um but they're only characters from the first three books. I'm kind of treating like the first four books as my Bible for mm-hmm. my Mars series. And it's like, I'm ignoring books five through five through 10. Yeah. Um, it's just one through four. And so I know they're all in the public domain. I try to talk around the trademark names, you know, as much as I can while still mm-hmm. making it coherent. Uh, but then I guess I'm just like rolling the dice on it and, know
0: whatever happens happens yeah. uh I'm not I'm, I'm gonna try
1: not to lose too much sleep
0: about it yeah i mean that's i i was just talking to someone um online about on twitter about um public domain stuff because they they tracked down a reddit post that i had made a couple years ago asking about it and um just like how do you use public domain characters and like what can you use what can't you use and all that stuff And so i was just talking about that like probably i don't know A couple, just a couple weeks ago, and the conclusion I kind of told them was like, just make your own character. It's usually easier. You don't have to worry about so much stuff. And so it's just that's usually that's what that was my advice. But I mean, if you since since you know that those first ones are in public domain, like I'm not trying to like you know you know what I mean. Like it's this works for you because you are definitely trying to work in that universe. So Um,
1: yeah, and it's like kind of like when I was. You know, insistent on working it with DC and Marvel. i like writing Superman yeah. someday. Like uh, when I first started to consider, you know, telling that story somewhere else, I was like, no, it absolutely has to be Superman. It has to be this world because it's so integral to like all the bits and pieces. And it's like it's really, it's really not. Like I could change everything in it, and it wouldn't matter there um, with Mars. Like, there is that, like, element of it that is, you know, this is the fan fiction I've actually always wanted to write. Um, And it's that setup I want to explore where, you know, this big world-changing event has happened, and what do people do the next day? Like, one of my favorite TV shows was the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And you get to the the final episode of that show, Everyone's dead and gone except for Apollo Adama. And, like, what I found most interesting is, like, when this dude wakes up tomorrow, who is he going to be and what is he going to do? And that is what I was thinking of when I started uh, the Mars books. It's like, John Carter, the warlord of Mars, has changed this world irrevocably who are these people when they wake up the next day? Like what do they do with their lives? What lives do they decide to have? And like, I find that fascinating. Um, Royo is not that at all. <laughs> yeah. It is definitely, you know, like the start of that journey more than the end. And I think that might be another part of the reason that I started the story. I'm attracted to the story of Royo in that like, because I tend to focus on that other end of things, what happens next, it's like I need to force myself to tell the story of how that happened. Uh, You know, like, can I construct that in a meaningful and uh, direct way to, like, get that narrative across? Or am I only a day-after kind of guy? So trying to force myself to pull that off Uh, Has been fun and challenging, Mm -hmm. certainly, in a way that the Mars books weren't at all.
0: Yeah, I I definitely i can i can see how that, especially because you know you're working, like you said, you're kind of working with two different parts of a story. You know, one you're kind of coming later, and the other one you're doing fresh and like from the beginning. And so there, that's also like kind of to tie back into the beginning. you're talking about, you know, you're working on so many different like different things in different stages, like. You're also, you know, you have different types of stories that you're telling instead of all telling. I'm telling a bunch of superhero origins or something that's all basically the same. You're telling two different things, yeah, at the same time. Um, So, like I said, that's all the questions I have. I always ask um, at the end. I ask one question, just a random question. Just um, I don't know why. I always explain it, and I don't know why I do that either. Um, What was the last song that made you cry? The
1: last song that made me cry.
0: Yeah. If not a song, uh scene in a show, movie.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, like I don't I don't actually listen to music <laughs> that much. That's fine. Uh, uh, what's the last Oh man, I just cried at this one dumb movie. What was it? I feel like I never cried at movies and then I turned thirty-eight and like I fucking ball <laughs> all the time now and I have no idea why. No idea why. Uh my daughter watched, uh, really liked Greta Gerwig's uh, Little Women from 2018, 2019. And, like, the first time I watched it, it was like, okay, yeah, this is good. I, I like this movie. But uh, she picked it again a few months later to watch. And it's like, by the end of the movie, I'm just, like, tears are, like, streaming down my face. It's like, why did this get me this time? Like, the first yeah. time, I was fine. But this time, it's like mm-hmm. a nail in my heart. Yeah. Um, but, man, what was the last one that made me cry?
0: like I'll
1: cry at fucking Hallmark commercials like my mom. Yeah.
0: It's ridiculous. Uh, Yo, I remember I, I cried at cars. I don't, the Pixar movie. I don't know why. Yeah. I was like, I was yeah. past the age group to see cars. And then I was on an airplane and watched it. And I just remember like just tearing up in my seat. And I don't know. Yeah. How, like at right? the time, I felt stupid. I was like, this it's is ridiculous. Dumb. I, this is freaking cars. Oh, you know what? It was the expanse. It
1: was the expanse. Season, season five, I think, because season six was their last one. Season five. Um, last episode, Naomi Nagata is uh, in a life support suit floating far away from her spaceship with no oxygen tanks. She knows her friends are close, but she has willingly sacrificed her life to save them from this booby trap. And she's just out there floating, waiting to run out of oxygen. They cut the sound, the ambient noise, so like you can just hear the sound of like Naomi like panting as she runs out of breath. And then uh, Bobby Draper like rams into the back of her and rescues her and there's like instant tears on Naomi's face and it killed me it killed I just
0: completely fell apart on the couch
1: uh that was the last the last show I think I cried at yeah
0: there you go it just spoiler alert for anybody who right there
1: seen you know person. it came out two years ago it's your own fault
0: oh, you're right <laughs> maybe um, it was last year I um I always answer as well um I mean, the last, honest last thing that made me cry, like community always makes me cry. But um, the last song that made me cry was Where Corn Don't Grow by Travis Tritt, just because it's a song about dads. And like, he's telling his dad, <laughs> like, and his dad's like, the world's gonna be hard. And he's like, no, it's not, I'll be able to make it. And yeah. he ends up yeah. being like, my dad was right. And that, all the anytime there's a dad story, I it it, it gets me. It gets yeah. me. So that yeah. was it. I was on my way to work, and then that song came on, and I never, and I, like, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'd heard it, but never really listened to it. And then I was like, okay, let me listen to it one more time. So I put it on my Spotify to finish yeah. my drive, and then I was just, like, tearing up. And I was like, okay.
1: Yeah. I think, like, Butterfly Kisses is one of the absolute worst songs that's ever been committed to music ever. But, like, my daughter is going to graduate high school in a couple years, and when she moves out of the house, I bet that song is just going to murder me every time. Yeah. Even though I hate yeah. it so much, I just that just like, oh, or, I get it um, now. I get
0: it and I hate it. Yeah, that and then um, uh, you're gonna miss this by Trace Adkins. That one, that gets me too. It's the one where the he, he he's always talking, telling it just goes. He says you're gonna miss this. It's all about you know getting older, and that's yeah that's slowly as I've gotten. I'm only twenty five, but as I've gotten older, I, that's it gets me a little bit more every time. Um, yeah, yeah age does you, terrible things to you it, does. it really does <laughs> it does it makes you emotional it sucks um so like i said that's all i have for you uh why don't you tell us where we can find you and Royo cheeks online okay so Royo
1: cheeks is on kickstarter right now and like you said this is going to go up when like it's gonna uh, there's gonna be about a half week of half Royo life. left or half a week yeah half a week left okay yeah so Royo cheeks will still be on kickstarter Um, Royo Cheeks, number one, I think is the project title on that. Um, I am on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as McComicker, M-C-C-O-M-I-C-K-E-R, findable on all of those. I am not great at social media, so it's sporadic across all of those, but that's where, you know, if I've done something that eventually ends up there, um, and then after Royo Cheeks, I'm gonna do the third installment in my Mars series. It's gonna be the end of the first arc, and I'm hoping to bring that to Kickstarter uh, probably February next year. Is because I'd like to have I like to have it done before I come to Kickstarter with the Mars two book. I wasn't completely done when I brought it to Kickstarter, and I did not enjoy that feeling, so yeah. I want to make sure this book is is completely done before I bring it to Kickstarter, so probably February on that one. Um, all the Mars books are available through the Royal Cheeks Kickstarter, as well as Hollow, my Lovecraftian take on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and Rovers, which is a fantasy adventure, high fantasy adventure set in the low places. It is Firefly in the Time of the Fellowship. Is how I describe that one. It's like a it's a D anD D group, but everyone's backstories are really boring, um, which is my favorite kind of DC uh, RPG backstory.
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, as always, you can find Foreign Press Comics at F Press Comics on Twitter, Foreign Press Comics on Instagram and Facebook, and ForeignPressComics dot com, where you can buy all of our comics, including Fletcher Cross, which not when this comes out, it'll, it'll it's available for pre order now, but you can't buy it until um, it won't ship until like November because. We're getting those printed. Um, yeah. Technically haven't printed them yet because we're, we're f- like, hopefully, my goal is the end of this week to have the PDF. We're recording this, like, so hopefully by the time this comes out, it's sent off. Right, uh, right. We'll see. We'll see. Um, anyway, um, thanks for coming on, Mick. Yeah, no, it was great. I would love to, to come back and talk about my next one whenever that's ready. Awesome. Sounds good. You have a good one. Thanks, you too.